the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. If somebody calls you prideful, if somebody, you know, a lot of times we want to have it our way. It's our way or the highway. We forget that we're under authority. Recognize that pride is self-love. It's an idolatry that God hates. And God is an equal opportunity destroyer of pride. He can humble kings and garbage men, presidents and pastors, because pride is the great sin. It is the love that God hates. I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan. There is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry. Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues in his teaching series from the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. And now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. And it is commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be confirmed for you from the time you know that heaven rules. So God is going to preserve the root. 27. Therefore, O king... Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be, perhaps, a lengthening of your prosperity. Now, this is not a plan of salvation here that he's giving to the king, but he is calling the king to repentance. I mean, after all, nobody's saved by works. They, they're saved by faith in God. Salvation comes through a personal relationship with the living God. But he's speaking to the king on his terms. And he's saying to him that temporal judgment may be forestalled by doing the right things, king. This decree and its interpretation is a decree from the Most High. The God above all gods has decreed your insanity, O king your humiliation, your degradation. And also there, he talks about 
and your redemption. Redemption? Yeah, in this decree we find hope. Look for it. In the judgment here there is hope. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules, that you confess that heaven rules, that God is sovereign. So God provides a way out. Repentance demonstrated by the acknowledgement that heaven rules over the affairs of men, not the king. Daniel describes this repentance at great personal risk to himself. Can you imagine saying this to the king? Speaking truth to power, as they call it in this way. What's in it for the king? That you may perhaps receive a lengthening of your prosperity. No guarantees. Because all sin has consequences, even if you're forgiven. The, your, the eternal consequences of our sin, your sin and my sin, even as we're born again, those eternal consequences are forgiven. The, the temporal consequences? No, not necessarily. You may suffer the consequences of your action, and that's what's going to happen with the king. So what are our takeaways? How do we apply this section? Well, I'd say this. If you're in Daniel's position, you have no choice but to speak the truth and do it in love as Daniel does. You know, he says, oh, king, I wish this were on your enemies. You, you have to learn from Daniel's humble grace. A lot of times we like to present the bad news in the form of the good news. We do it without grace. That's not what Daniel does. I want to share a lengthy quote with you that I shared with Foundry a while back. It was a man who uh, was asked to play the pronoun game at his workplace, and he refused to do it. And, but he, he communicates like Daniel in terms of grace and humility. And so this is what this man wrote to his boss, to those in authority over him. He spoke to them the way Daniel kind of spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. I appreciate the goal of mutual respect and creating a welcoming environment for everyone. My desire is to be respectful of everyone. The expectation to display my pronouns asked me to accept a premise that I can't accept, namely that my pronouns could be different than he, him. It's an ontological claim about the nature of reality, and I hold a different view. I'm not asking those that are transgender to accept my view of reality, but I'm being asked to accept theirs. I can live and work with respect toward anyone with differing beliefs than my own, including my transgender co-workers. Can I be respected for my beliefs that differ on the nature of gender and identity while affirming the dignity of every other person? Of course, this man wasn't Daniel. He was just a guy. But can you imagine saying that to your boss? Like Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar, speaking plainly and humbly. And I guess you can imagine the backlash to this guy. His company said to him, what you have written makes perfect sense to us. We never thought of it this way. Okay? It's all in the delivery sometimes. And of course, Daniel, with him, things could have gone the other direction, fiery furnace-wise. Or Dietrich Bonhoeffer-wise, as you discovered last week, the hangsman's noose. Now, both Daniel and this guy spoke in a way that was humble and kind. My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. But this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord, the king. 
My desire is to be respectful for everyone. I can live with respect toward everyone. Can I be respected in my beliefs? The first takeaway is to speak the truth in love, power, grace, prudence, wisdom, and humility. The second takeaway is this. Search your own soul for pride and do violence to your pride. If somebody challenges you and somebody calls you prideful, if somebody, you know, a lot of times we want to have it our way. It's our way or the highway. We forget that we're under authority. Recognize that pride is self-love. It's an idolatry that God hates. And God is an equal opportunity destroyer of pride. He can humble kings and garbage men, presidents and pastors, because pride is the great sin. It is the love that God hates. So try this. If someone's pride is driving you nuts, ask yourself, is it because my pride is greater than their pride and therefore their pride is pointing out my pride? Right? Think about it. Maybe their pride isn't a problem. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's yours. Search it out. All right, let's go to to number three, heading number three, the humiliation. The humiliation. We catch up with the king 12 months later. Maybe it was 12 months of sleepless nights, who knows. And yet, the, the text indicates that things have been going well for the king. He's, you know, maybe the king thought, well, perhaps Daniel got it wrong this time. The king has enjoyed the good life, His is the greatest empire in the world. He has peace with his enemies because everybody's afraid to attack him. His wife, which the text doesn't tell us, but we know from history, has given him an heir, a son to rule. He was prosperous, and life couldn't be better for Nebuchadnezzar. And so in Daniel 4, 28 to 33, we read this. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, and in the Hebrew, there are, there are people who interpret it this way, shouted and said, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Verse 31, pride comes before destruction. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. And the language here means like it fell on him. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling place shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time will pass over you, until you know that heaven rules, that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. Not much glory there. Not much glory there. You know, the arrogance of some gifted people. You know, I like, the, you know, they say this person is gifted and that person is gifted and sometimes it goes to their head like Nebuchadnezzar. But the word gifted really says it all. They have, they only have what they've received. They're gifted not because they're special but because that giftedness came from somewhere else in the providence and sovereignty of God. 
gifted. In Corinthians, Paul says, you only have what you've received, so why do you regard yourselves as special? So Nebuchadnezzar shoots off his mouth. He only says what's on his mind and his heart. And sentence is pronounced. You know, he, he hears this voice. It's like somebody being in the middle of the street and looking and there's the car because they didn't look both ways. And at that point, it's too late. Nebuchadnezzar heard the word pronounced. Can you imagine? And some people say, well, where's the grace in all this? He got this word from heaven, not from men, at the last minute. Yeah, grace is all over the place in this passage. You know, pride is cutting yourself slack and not cutting God any, judging God in human terms. Did Nebuchadnezzar get a chance to see that heaven rules and that he was really small? Numbers of times, but he forgot. And so God was going to make it very clear to him who was God, who was sovereign, and who possessed majesty. And the grace is, is that the consequences were very, very small. He only had to do this for seven years, not 70. And he didn't die. And so for seven years, he ate grass. And at the end of that time, he was like grass-fed beef, perhaps, ready for the slaughter. But there was no grass-fed slaughter. There was only grace-filled redemption. And in the end... Nebuchadnezzar would find himself grace-fed humanity rather than grass-fed beef, ready for restoration, as some would describe it, exaltation. Because God not only opposes the proud, but he does exalt the humble. And Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, and God greatly exalted him. We'll see that next. The takeaway for us is this. Don't be like Nebuchadnezzar. Somebody points out your sin, act on it. Act on it. Don't wait. You know, I used to tell my children before that we administered a spanking that if I don't discipline you, God will. And God has put me over you to love you, to challenge you, to correct you. And if I don't correct you, and if you don't repent, he will do it. And it's better that I do it. If somebody points out your sin to you, deal with it rather than have God deal with it. One of my teachers in seminary once said this, and it was Stuart Scott in Biblical Counseling. He said, if someone calls you a stubborn mule, consider the source. Because, you know, there are people out there who just aren't going to like you, you know. But I would say if it's a Daniel, be careful to accept the criticism and repent, right? And then he said, but if two people call you a stubborn mule, look around for tracks And he said, if three people call you a stubborn mule, buy yourself a saddle because people are going to be riding you real soon. Like a beast, like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. He was like an animal in the field, an ox eating all this stuff. Which brings us to number four, the exaltation. So we said a moment ago, God opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. Look at verses 34 to 37 with me. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. He turned to God, so to speak. And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And now watch this. Now look at this confession. For his dominion is 
and everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And that includes Nebuchadnezzar. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Look at this next clause. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Why is God doing this? This sounds like a statement of faith. He acknowledges that heaven rules, that God is sovereign. He turns to God, verse 36. And at that same time, my reason returned to me, and for the the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for his works are right and his ways are just. His ways are just. Me, grass-fed beef, says his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He's saying basically, I deserve what, I I had it coming. I deserved all of it. And I got better than I deserved. Now at least he understood. Mercifully, God had fixed the date for his restoration. There was hope and grace in the midst of and at the end of this temporary discipline. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. God restored his reason. He looked up to heaven. Can you imagine? You know, we just had the coronation of King Charles and They toned it down some, but you saw the clothes and the jewels and the majesty of all this. Nebuchadnezzar was better than that. And he blinks his eyes, and it's seven years have passed. Can you imagine coming to, seeing the claws in your hair? And he probably, let's just say, uh, he probably didn't smell like a bakery. There he is in his filth and his squalor. And he humbled himself before God. He humbled himself. Nebuchadnezzar at last humbled himself under God's mighty hand, repenting of his arrogance and acknowledging the sovereignty of God over the inhabitants of the earth, including kings like him. What's our takeaway? Well, is God disciplining you right now? Is he challenging you? Is he confronting your pride or your stubbornness or or something in your life? Repent. The psalmist says, I acknowledge my sin before thee, and my iniquity I did not hide, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, uh, whatever your problem is, you know, uh, uh, repent. Whatever your sin problem is, cast your eyes heavenward in repentance and faith. You know, often a besetting sin isn't the lack of, a, of the knowledge of the gospel. I mean, you, you got your facts straight. You know that God is sovereign. You know that he's the king, that Christ died for your sins and all this kind of stuff. You, but you may be like Nebuchadnezzar. You may have encountered God. You may have tasted of the heavenly gift, so to speak. But you haven't embraced him. You know about God, but you don't know God. Remember this, even the demons know about God, right? In James chapter 2. You say that God is one, you do well for 
but even the demons believe and shudder. I mean, we could be talking about more than the loss of the kingdom here. You may not know Christ in a saving way, and therefore you keep running up against him over and over again, and he keeps trying to get your attention like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. There's this big debate over whether Nebuchadnezzar is saved at the end, and all the commentators differ. But I would just say this. Nebuchadnezzar is writing scripture here, and there are no pagans who write scripture. And when you look at his confession and everything else, I believe that he's saved. But I wouldn't build a theology on that, but I will tell you this. God got his attention, and he bowed the knee in some form. And the question is, have you? God doesn't want 50% of your allegiance. He doesn't want 60% of your allegiance. He doesn't want 90% of your allegiance. As the great theologian and philosopher Bruce Springsteen once said, he wants the heart, he wants the soul, he wants control right now. If you're in the bad lands, he can transfer you into the good lands of his kingdom. Otherwise, no matter how bad your life is right here and right now, you are going to face the full-throated, unrelenting wrath of God poured out on you for all eternity with no, no relenting no hope. It's either You're either all in or all out. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar found out. There are no half measures. You just don't acknowledge God periodically. You, you recognize him for what and who he is. Have you done that? Have you done that? I hope you have. Because self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency, is a, form of, is a form of pride, and pride is the love that God hates. And, pr- and God opposes the proud, and he cuts them down like he did Nebuchadnezzar and raises them up when they embrace him unto salvation. Do not leave here today without knowing Christ. You don't want to be humble like Nebuchadnezzar. So let me give you some additional thoughts for application kind of just summing all this up. Understand that all that you have, is this Babylon, not Babylon the Great that I built? Is this not my job, not my career? Not my, Everything you have comes from God. So don't exalt yourself. You have nothing to take pride in. You only have what you've received. Give God the glory. Number two, use your gifts such as they are for the glory of God and not your selfish ambitions. Serve him. In the church, outside the church. Number three, is you resent what you resent in others, ask God, is the pride that I resent in them just merely a reflection of my own pride? And it touches a nerve in me in some way. Reveal it to me, O God. Am I simply looking in the mirror? Number four, ponder that God resists the proud but exalts the humble, knowing that pride preceded Nebuchadnezzar's fall and that his repentance preceded his exaltation. Think about these things. This is a profound passage. You know, Jesse last week talked about these passages in Daniel. They're so well known. We almost breeze over them quickly and, you know, oh yeah, I know that story. But do you know that story? Do you know that story? It's the story of a sovereign God 
and his care to humble this foolish king and to bring him to repentance. And I would say in a way, it's, it's, it's God's sovereign grace, his sovereign love for even a brute like Nebuchadnezzar or a brute like you and me. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.